Now, let's get a little bit closer to Luke 19. I want to call your attention to Luke 15. This is a chapter that I have come to think of as the lost and found chapter. There's three parables that Jesus delivers in this chapter. And each of these parables speaks of something or someone that is lost, but then is found. The first one has to do with, well, sheep. You starting to see a theme here? All right. Jesus says this. He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep If he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, I grew up in the inner city of Richmond, Virginia. And uh, my family now resides in Richmond again. We were gone for about 15 years doing ministry in various places around the country. But Richmond, Virginia is my home. I grew up on the edge of downtown, almost in the shadow of uh, some of the larger buildings in the Richmond area. So I'm, I'm kind of an urban person, okay? So when Jesus starts talking in agricultural terms, this is largely lost on me, okay? I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with a sheep. I don't want to be anywhere near it. I'm not a livestock person, Okay, the only wildlife I'm accustomed to was back in the days when I was in the music business playing nightclubs. That's as far as I want to go. But I'm thinking to myself, what can a man do with a hundred sheep that he can't do with 99? What's the big deal? I had a hundred sheep, I lost one. So? Is it really worth the trouble that this shepherd must go through to find that missing sheep? How does this make sense? And I want you to notice, he doesn't doesn't just run down the road to Sheep Depot and buy another sheep. It's not like he's got to have an even hundred, right? It's not about the number, you see. It's about that particular sheep, because that particular sheep is part of his flock. He has a responsibility, and he's not going to rest until he finds that sheep. So he sets out, he finds his lost sheep. And then we see what's going to be a pattern emerge. What does he do? He calls together friends and neighbors, hey, celebrate with me. I found my lost sheep. And then all of a sudden, the story catapults from the pasture into heaven, and we're getting a look at the fact that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, how, how did we get from the pasture into heaven? 
What has this missing sheep got to do with the fact that they're celebrating in heaven? Well, hold on to that thought for a moment. Let's look at the second parable. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Same story, different setting. Woman loses the coin, searches, finds it, calls people together, let's rejoice, and then once again, we're catapulted into heaven where they're celebrating over one sinner who repents. Now, I want you to think about this just logically. Apparently, every time a sinner repents of his or her sin, turns to the person of Jesus Christ, receives him as Savior and Lord, this provokes a party in heaven. Isn't that what it says? How many times a day do you think this happens? All around the globe. How many sinners repent in a day's time? You think it's maybe one every hour? One every minute? One every second? A hundred every second? I read something recently that said that in India alone, over six thousand people a day are coming to Christ. And what does that tell you about heaven? Continuous party. I think that must be what eternity looks like. We're celebrating. We're celebrating the work of Jesus Christ, the effect of that work on the lost sheep, the lost people that are, in fact, God's family. How important are missing people to God? Now, this brings us to the third parable. Uh, We we know this parable as the parable of the prodigal son. Now, it's a long one, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. So let let me just hit the highlights. We have a young man who goes to his father and essentially says to his father, I wish you were dead. How so? Well, he's asking for his inheritance. When are you supposed to get an inheritance? Well, this young man can't wait for his father to pass away. He wants his inheritance and he wants it right now. Not that any of us ever deal with instant gratification as a problem. Well, his father grants his request, gives him his portion of the inheritance, and we're told that he he went off to a far country and squandered his wealth in riotous living. Now, one can only imagine what that riotous living looked like, okay? But I think in our day, this would probably be the subject of a reality show. Well, this young man burns through his inheritance and finds himself 
destitute. But there's this beautiful verse that says, but when he came to himself, some translations say, when he came to his senses, he realized how much better his life was when he was with his father. And this, of course, is a picture of our heavenly father. And so he determines, I will go back to my father and I will just take whatever I deserve once I get back. Now later in the story, we're told that the father saw him coming while he was yet a long way off. Now what is, what is the picture that Jesus is painting here? Uh, is, is Jesus suggesting that, hey, coincidentally, the father just happened to be out on the edge of the property that day? Maybe he's uh, mending a fence or fixing a, a, a gate or something like this, and he looks up and, oh my goodness, there's my son. No, that's not the picture that I think Jesus is painting. I think the picture looks more like this. Day after day after day after day, this father would go down to that road and look off into the distance, hoping, praying, that one day he would see this little dot on the horizon that would get closer and closer and closer and turn out to be his son coming home. And on this particular day, that's exactly what happened. So what does the father do? Party. Ring, robe, sandals, fatted calf. Rejoice with me because this my son who was lost has been found. How important are missing people to God. Now, after the longest sermon introduction in Christendom, we have made our way back to Luke chapter 19. Okay? It starts off by telling us that Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. Well, you know, I travel a great deal and I pass through city after city, town after town, and you know what? No one writes about it. It's just happenstance. You know, you can't get you can't get here from the airport without going through Atlanta. Nobody noticed my driving through Atlanta Friday afternoon. Just happened to be there. What's the big deal? Jesus is passing through Jericho. Why does that need to be in the Word of God? Well, let's think about it for a moment. Where, where is Jesus going? Well, is both and man. He's divine and he's human. Now, I have to say that when I think about Jesus, I tend to think about Jesus in his divinity more than I think about Jesus and his humanity. You see, here, here's the deal. 
I know a whole lot of people, and only one of them is divine. I want you to think about today for a moment. He's a man. 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 He's what do we know about Zacchaeus? Well, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and he was very rich. These are the two things we know about Zacchaeus. Well, what do we know about tax collectors of this day? Well, Zacchaeus was an Israelite. He was a Hebrew. And yet, he worked for the Roman government as a tax collector, exacting taxes from his own people to pay to Rome while padding his pockets along the way. You know, how is it that he became rich? He's become rich at the expense of his own people. Now, to them, Zacchaeus is a collaborator, a conspirator, a traitor. So we've got this man who's hated by his own people. And what do we know about the rich, well, according to Scripture, it's easier for a camel to do what? Pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. All to say that Zacchaeus is a man with problems. Hated by his own people, and a camel's got a better shot at getting through the eye of a needle than he has of reaching heaven. Interesting. Well, on this particular day, it says in verse 3 that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, we have no information as to, as to how that came about. We don't know how Zacchaeus knew about Jesus. We don't know how Zacchaeus knew Jesus was passing through Jericho. All we know is that for whatever reason, Zacchaeus is thinking to himself, I need to see this Jesus. And so he, he heads down to the parade route to get a glimpse of Jesus. Okay. We're told that he can't see over the crowd because he's small of stature. Now, I want to kind of editorialize a little bit here. I'm thinking to myself, it's not, it's not just that Zacchaeus is short of stature. It's that Zacchaeus is short on friends. Okay? What happens when you go to a parade? You know, there's always those people that get there early. And they get those spots right along the, the curbing. Okay, they're going to get the best view of the passing parade. And then other people come, and we're too deep, and we're three deep, and we're four deep. Now, in my family, we're never there early. My family is kind of a late family. Okay, 
We have no idea what happens at the beginning of anything. Okay? Well, what happens when someone comes a little late who happens to be small, can't see over the crowd? What do people tend to do? Well, they scoot to the side a little bit and let the smaller person up front, right? Do you see anybody letting Zacchaeus up front? I mean, in my mind's eye, the crowd is now locking arms. No way there's tax collectors getting up here. But something's going on in Zacchaeus that I'm sure he couldn't even explain. He's determined to see Jesus. So much so that we're told that he he ran ahead of the crowd. Question, when do you suppose is the last time Zacchaeus ran anywhere? I mean, do you picture this guy getting up with the sun and jogging in his sandals for five miles or so to stay in shape? I kind of doubt it. I would say this is very unusual behavior for this professional man. Well, not only does he run ahead of the crowd, but he climbs a tree. Really? When do you suppose is the last time Zacchaeus climbed a tree? Now, when I sort of put myself in the position of Zacchaeus, I understand why he would be so compelled to see Jesus. I get that. What's harder for me to wrap my brain around is why Jesus was so determined to see him. You know, when we get down here to verse 5, Jesus comes to the place, looks up into the tree, and says to Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. It is a divine imperative that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, en route to the cross, must stay at the home of Zacchaeus that day. Now, if I'm part of the entourage... I'm looking at this and I'm going, are you serious? Jesus, Jerusalem, cross, sins of the world, wrath of God. Don't you have more important things to do? Well, apparently not. Jesus, why this distraction? Why this detour? And you know, in this culture, when you went to someone's house... We're not talking about a little 15-minute drop-by. We're talking about hours of time. Does this make any sense at all? Well, how important are missing people to God? Well, Jesus goes to the house of Zacchaeus. We're told here that Zacchaeus received him joyfully. Now, when I, when I hear that, I think of the shepherd who, who would, was rejoiced when he found his lost sheep. The woman who rejoiced when she found her lost coin. The father who rejoiced when he found his lost son. Only there's a difference here. You see, Zacchaeus is not the one who's doing the finding. 
Zacchaeus is the one who is being found. He's being found by Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. Well, Zacchaeus is going through a life transformation. He says to Jesus, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Really? Yesterday, Zacchaeus was was extracting money from his people. Now he's giving away half of his goods. What has happened to Zacchaeus? Jesus has happened to Zacchaeus. He's not the same man. And Zacchaeus says, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I give it back fourfold. Now, why do you suppose fraud pops into his mind right about now? You think he's going down a list of possible sins? I don't think so. Zacchaeus is a fraud. It's, it's, it's like, it's like Zacchaeus' life is flashing before his eyes. He's seeing himself as who he really is. Because Jesus has brought truth to the table. Zacchaeus is not the man he was yesterday. Zacchaeus is being transformed by the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. You see, wherever Jesus goes, salvation goes with him. Salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Well, Zacchaeus has always been a son of Abraham biologically, because he's Hebrew. But Jesus is not talking about biology here. He's talking about spirituality. You see, Zacchaeus has become a descendant of Abraham in the sense that he is now a child of God. Zacchaeus is not the same man that he was at the beginning of this account. Well, Jesus makes a a profound announcement here. He says, for the Son of Man, referring to himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, going to the home of Zacchaeus was not a distraction. It was not a detour from the cross. Zacchaeus is the very reason that Jesus is going to the cross. Why? Because he's missing from the family of God. And Jesus Christ is there to seek and to save Zacchaeus and everyone like him. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. In Ezekiel, we saw that God the Father was going to seek and save the lost. Now in Luke, we see that God the Son is going to seek and save the lost. Well, what about now? Whose responsibility is this today? Well, I want to call your attention to a couple of other Scripture passages. One comes from Matthew 28. You know, Jesus Christ is about to ascend into heaven, and He says to His disciples, Go and make disciples. In other words, it's time for you to take on this role of seeking the lost that they might be found. Further, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, 
you will be my witnesses. So you see how this works? In Ezekiel, God the Father took on the job. In Luke, God the Son took on the job. And now we hear that God the Son is sending God the Spirit into us so that we take on the job. In our day, in 21st century USA, this role of search and rescue that Jesus has been on is our role. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, called by the very person of Jesus Christ, it is now the job of the church of Jesus Christ to join Him in that mission. It's our turn to be on the search and rescue mission that has been the mission of Jesus Christ. And we need to start now, today, this moment. Now, there's a couple of ways that you might respond to this teaching today. 